At the Commonwealth Policy Foundation, we try to approach the issues of life, marriage, religious liberty, and fiscal integrity from a biblical perspective that promotes thoughtfulness and kindness. We work with political leaders and concerned citizens from all across the state. To stay informed, visit CommonwealthMatters.org and sign up for our e-newsletter. The Commonwealth Policy Foundation is a nonprofit organization that only exists because of friends like you. Thanks for tuning in to the Commonwealth Matters. Welcome to the Commonwealth Matters. I'm Richard Nelson, Executive Director of CPC, here with good friend Ron Hicks, and I am in the Henderson Memorial Baptist Church studio. Studios, absolutely, studio. with the famous quilt in the background. <laughs> been a while since y'all have seen that. Ron, it's good to be with you again. Hey, it's always good to do this with you, Richard. It's been a while can't, since we've been able to do it, since you moved. Drove three hours from Frankfurt just to do this program. Brought me some Jesus chicken, some Chick-fil-A. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I appreciate it's that. It's always good to get together. And just for the record, I didn't come all the way back just to do with you, the program with you. This is one of the highlights, though, of, of getting stops. to do Absolutely. the. Absolutely, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Got several things. I will be in West Kentucky for over the next few days. Uh, one of which is a board meeting with the Commonwealth Policy Center board. Oh, so okay, yeah. That's uh, our annual meeting coming up in Bowling Green in okay. a couple of days. So, Ron, uh, it's always good to be with you and to do this program. Uh, we were talking about topics on the way down, or actually texting back and forth, and one of the challenging topics that. We've really not tackled in depth, and I've actually had people ask me about, mm-hmm. and it does come up from time to time, mm-hmm. is the topic of the death penalty. Yeah. I've been asked about that quite a bit as well. So there was a bill in last year's legislative session, House Bill 148, that would have banned the death penalty for the mentally ill. And uh, the previous year, a similar bill passed in the Senate. However, in order for a bill to become law, it needs to pass both chambers, the House mm-hmm. and Senate in the same session if it's going to become law. Right, and then the governor needs to sign it, and none of those steps. The Senate passed one, House passed one, but jointly they haven't passed one. So, Ron, here's the question. You're a pastor, Mm -hmm. and I I want you to weigh in on this. One of many questions I'm going to ask, but is the death penalty biblical? Is it just? Is it applicable to our modern society today? Those are three important questions that I think we need to to ask— and then, of course, one of the big questions, I'm going to jump in at this point right now. So mm-hmm. put those questions on okay. hold. All right, got them. But is it a deterrent? Is the death penalty a deterrent? There have been all kinds of studies done across the country that uh, either for or against whether it's a deterrent. My thinking, just off the cuff, and I'm kind of simple when I come to this, and I, I, I want to, before I say that, I, I need to temper my thoughts and be very careful. Because we're talking about one of the most serious public policies that you can talk about. Agreed. It's life and death, Mm -hmm. and it's regarding the state and the ability of the state to take somebody's life. Well, and and taking that a step further, we as a church believe that abortion is 100% wrong. You're taking a life. Mm -hmm. And and so some people hear that from from the church, and so they say, okay, well, then in any circumstance, whether it's unborn, whether it's a criminal or whatever, if you're against taking a life in, in the sense of abortion, then you must also be against taking a life uh, in, in the form of capital punishment. Can I so, respond? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So there's a difference between the oh, two I agree. categories, I agree. right? I agree. There, but I'm saying society, apples and oranges. Yeah. Society often will ask that question. And so you're right. I think it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's good to have a definitive sort of a thing. And we can only go by our own life experiences. So when you're saying this is what I think off the cuff, you can only go from your own life experience. 
but 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 what were you going to say there? Well, so here here's my reaction, and I need to again. I want this to be a serious conversation because it, it is when mm-hmm. we talk about these Absolutely. issues. But I want it to be tempered with the understanding that we're talking about a very challenging issue that deals with ultimate questions yeah. that affect people. I mean, <laughs> what harder and harsher public policy could you have than that of the death penalty? Mm-hmm. But uh, off the cuff, and this is one of the strong arguments against the death penalty has been that it doesn't deter crime. There's no evidence that shows it deters crime. Well, there was a study done in 2012, a meta-analysis of uh, the question of does the death penalty deter capital offenses. Uh, The NIH, National Institute of Health, did a meta-analysis, I believe it was for the previous 10 years, and they could not conclude definitively that it was a deterrent. They couldn't, pr- in other words, <laughs> they couldn't prove either way yeah, right, right, right. that it was a deterrent. But here's the thing that comes off the cuff. Uh, if somebody does receive the death penalty, they're not going to commit a crime again. That's true. The other thing, Ron, that comes to mind is that when you, to receive the death penalty, you have had to uh, commit some kind of a heinous crime. Now, typically, it's a murder. Mm-hmm. Often it's multiple murders. And often it's murders that are premeditated awful, uh, cold blood. Uh, there, there's certain elements in a, in, a, in, a, in a murder case that will land you with the death penalty. Mm-hmm. Most people that commit murder are not on death row. No, no, you're right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the idea that uh, there are some crimes in society worthy of the death penalty uh, uh, is a deterrent, in my opinion. Well, and we have to go back. Did anybody, when the death penalty first came out, say... We're instituting this law as a deterrent. I yeah, mean, no. was, it, was it ever reason to be a deterrent, or was it following maybe the biblical principle of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth sort of thing, that there are some crimes that are so heinous that the person should not continue to live, not to deter anybody from doing anything, but simply to punish, bring justice to some people who had. So it, I don't know if it was ever a deterrent. Yeah, it, yeah, it, and that brings us to the very first question, because when we do the Commonwealth Matters, we often want to get to the root. The, the, the principles. Yeah, and yeah. in our case, we're looking for God's principles, biblical principles, when it comes to this public policy. Mm-hmm. And uh, it first of all, I believe it is biblical. Yes. We see in Genesis 9-6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. We see in the New Testament where uh, Peter and Paul both affirm the uh, duty of the state. It's to uh, reward those who do good, and it is to punish those who do evil, and there's the context of the sword. It, Paul says uh, the, 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 the civil authorities do not bear the sword for nothing. Now, the sword is not used for spankings. No. Okay, the sword was an mm-hmm. instrument. Yeah, and it wasn't an authoritarian symbol. Uh, so I've heard people say before in that passage, well, bearing the sword means an authoritative. If they were going to use any symbolism for authoritative thing, it wouldn't be the sword. It would be the scepter. It would be the rod. Uh, and, and so people who think that the sword means that they just bear authority, it, I, I believe they misinterpret that, that passage. I believe it's a sword, a killing instrument. I would agree with you, yeah. Now, with that said, you, people might say, well, in ancient times, they were flippant with the death penalty. You could get it for simple, minor offenses. Well, in the King James Version of the Bible, 68 different times does the in the Old Testament, it says a person be, could be killed for something. One of the times it says if a if a if a person strikes their mother and father, they should be put to death. Um, uh, homosexuality, uh, they should be put to death. If you bring an offering 
uh, before the Lord and it's an unpleasing offering, you could be put to death. Uh, 68 different times it says uh, a person must be put to death, either for an action or a particular person who broke God's law. Uh, bestiality, mm-hmm. um, violating the Sabbath, striking your father or mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are certain things that were applicable, I would, I believe, only applicable to Israel, not applicable to other nations. Uh, and then you had ceremonial reasons for mm-hmm. why Israel had certain laws. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the moral law, however, when you take the life of another person, I believe that does apply to all nations throughout history. If you commit other offenses against rape, there are always, always, always very severe and harsh penalties for somebody who would rape another person. Well, the scriptures tell us that God's laws are written on man's heart, whether they, I mean, whether Jew or Gentile, every single civilization, whether they've come into contact with other civilizations or not, every civilization says murder is wrong. Now, every civilization has a different criteria for murder. You know, some of the Arabic nations say if you convert to Christianity, in their mind, it's justifiable to kill you. But you can't just kill somebody because you're angry with them. So their definition of murder would be different than what our definition of murder is. But every civilization has a penalty for murder because God's law says thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder. So, Ron, why is there, why are there such harsh penalties on the taking of another human being? Well, typically... If somebody can get so enraged, you know, they, they have these crimes of passion, you know, where somebody loses their mind, something snaps in them, and they take a life. And I'm no scientist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a lawyer. But in my mind, if I could lose my mind that, that much once, there's a real good chance I could do it twice, particularly if I'm not held accountable for that. Um, if it's uh, a predisposition, if I have some sort of a mental illness or some sort of personality disorder or whatever, where I'm drawn to that, uh, I mean, I, I hate to admit this, but I, I've read some books on FBI profilers and those sort of things, and just because that's kind of a, a, a dark area. But, but people thrive on that. And once they commit it the first time, not only is their thirst not satisfied, their thirst is increased for that. And, and so it, typically it's not a one-time thing. So those are good points. I'm getting to something else, though, and that is that human life is so precious and so valuable oh, that if you take yeah. somebody's life, your life will be required of you. Absolutely. And it's, you know, we're made in the image of God. And uh, as human beings, uh, that, that image in each of us, our personhood, our, uh, each of our lives are valuable. And when the state says, look, if there's murder, if you commit murder, you're going to forfeit your own life. That is a strong message that speaks of consequences, but it also speaks of the value of human life as it well. It does. But, you know, Richard... There's the other side of that coin. The Old Testament law absolutely unequivocally states that if, if, a, if a man takes another man's life, he ought to pay with his own. Mm-hmm. Yet the very first, institution, very first incident of murder in the Bible, uh, Cain uh, murdering his brother Abel out of anger because Cain, uh, Abel pleased God with his sacrifice and Cain did not. And so he, he murdered his brother, tried to lie to God about it and all the rest of that. And... Um, and God told him, he said, I'm going to banish you from the land. And Cain said, if you do that, whoever encounters me is going to kill me. And, um, and so God, the scriptures say, actually put a mark on Cain to let everybody know that they should not kill Cain. So it, you know, you and I were discussing this earlier. There, there probably wasn't governmental structure back then and all. 
But it seems like Cain knew that everybody knew that he was a murderer and it would have been acceptable for them to kill him because of that. So in that case, God showed grace to Cain. The same God who wrote the laws showed grace to Cain. Jesus, um, when he was encountered by the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, brought a woman caught in adultery. The Mosaic law said she should be stoned to death because adultery was a a sin. Um, Jesus persuaded them not to follow the Mosaic law and ended up sparing the woman's life. The same Jesus who stood before Pilate and Pilate said, don't you know I have the authority to set you free or to crucify you? And instead of saying, no, you shouldn't kill anybody, Jesus said, the only reason you have that authority over life and death is because it's been granted to you by God. And so Jesus affirmed the scriptures that say God has given man that authority, but this he didn't use an out for his own because he knew what he was going to do, but he did grant mercy and grace to the woman caught in adultery. So as I read in the scriptures, it's very clear that legally, morally, spiritually, that you can take a life for a life, but it seems like through the scriptures, not that it's contradictory, but it seems like there are times that God administers grace and mercy almost as if every single, not every single, but but there are times of extenuating circumstances, whether whether that law should be applied or not. I think the biggest twist, good points, by the way, I think the biggest thing to put into this conversation is that part of God's plan for salvation was that his son would come to earth and live a perfect, sinless life to be that sacrifice for all of us, Mm -hmm. to make atonement for all of our sins. And Jesus did not deserve the death penalty. He did nothing Mm -hmm. wrong. He was framed. It was a kangaroo court. And it was the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day who were angry with him. They were jealous of him, and uh, they ended up crucifying him. So, Ron, this was was God's plan to send a sacrifice Mm -hmm. for our sins, and the death penalty was used for that. The death penalty that God had given the authority of the leadership to implement, because Jesus said to Pilate, the only reason you have the authority to put me to death is because God in heaven has granted it. Same thing that, that Paul, you stated earlier, echoes to the church in Rome as he's writing to them, and he's saying to them, uh, God has instituted the authorities over you, and they have the authority to wield the sword against you if you do wrong. If you're just joining us, you're listening to The Commonwealth Matters. I'm Richard Nelson here with Ron Hicks, and we are talking about the death penalty. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back in just a minute. Hi, Richard Nelson here with the Commonwealth Policy Center. It's clear that the news media isn't always fair. In fact, there's lots of far-left bias and political gamesmanship. No surprise there. So if you're looking for a perspective that's grounded in the truth of Scripture and our nation's founding principles, then get plugged into CPC's resources. Sign up for our e-newsletter at CommonwealthPolicyCenter.org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Commonwealth Policy Center. And we're on Twitter at cpc for kentucky Welcome back to the Commonwealth Matters. I'm Richard Nelson here with Ron Hicks. And Ron, we've got a lively discussion going about the death penalty. And the first uh, topic that we tackled was, is it biblical? I'd like us to move to, Mm -hmm. is it just? Is it just for the United States of America and for the Commonwealth of Kentucky to have a death penalty law on the books? The United States, by the way, is, if I am not mistaken, the only nation in the West that has the death penalty on the books. Is that right? Uh, don't quote me. You, I, I believe all of Europe, all of Europe, uh, Canada, uh, not sure about Mexico. Sure. There are many groups that are uh, seeking to ban the death penalty. 
in Kentucky, there has been a moratorium on the death penalty for, I want to say, over a decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's because there has, uh, because the U.S. Supreme Court has viewed our particular mode of capital punishment as cruel and unusual. Mm-hmm. I actually got to meet the person who's on death row who successfully challenged that law several years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, uh, I have a personal uh, angle, a uh, personal connection to some people who are on death row mm-hmm. because of a ministry I've been involved with for years. We go into the Kentucky State Penitentiary in Eddyville, and we have ministries, and I've gotten to know personally people on death row just because I've been leading worship services there. I know of a pastor. I've got a very dear friend here in Hopkinsville whose brother is a pastor in Tennessee. Their church ordained a man on death row, a murder on death row, and he's a pastor to the other because they, they, they can't have human contact with anybody. So he's a pastor to the other members uh, who are on death row. Yes. And obviously this pastor is, is adamantly against the capital punishment. By the way, you think that people are marked in society. You mentioned Cain being mm-hmm. marked by God. Uh, people in our prisons, and Kentucky State Penitentiary is the only prison that has death row in Kentucky, but the prisoners wear different color mm-hmm. jumpsuits. Uh, death row, all the prisoners there are in red. Yeah. Uh, the general population is in a khaki-colored Protective custody is in green, so each of the populations are distinguished by uh, the the clothes that they wear. Um, So, Ron, is it just to have the death penalty on the books in a civil society? Personal opinion, yes. Um, I've I've got a friend, and I can call him a friend, who is serving time in penitentiary. Um, He pled bargain. He was facing 50 years. He, he pled and took 10. And um, the circumstances, I, I won't mention them, but, but they, they, they were, it was uh, against a child. There was no physical contact or whatever, but it dealt with a child. And when I was visiting him in jail, and since then, I mean, we talk once a week on the phone, uh, I, I told him, I said, I, I, this, is, this is my own heart. If it would have been my children and my grandchildren, I'd have killed you. But for some reason, since it wasn't, I don't feel like killing you. And that was my own struggle. Why would it have been okay to take his life if it was my kids, but it wouldn't be okay? I didn't have that same sentiment for others. So in my own heart, I was thinking, yes, I could take somebody's life who harmed somebody that, that I loved, and, and, and by doing so, I would be assured that they would not do that to, to my family again or anybody else. Um, what do you do with passages like, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord? Because we have, I think, if somebody harms our family, it's personal. Mm-hmm. We want vengeance. The human condition says, I want to get even. They've wronged me. They've wronged my kids, my grandchildren, whoever it might be. And I think vengeance is, an, is a natural fleshly impulse. Mm-hmm. And that's a great question. And that's what I struggled with because I wanted venge- I would have wanted vengeance for my family. I'd have wanted justice for the other family. So it, because it was somebody else's kid, I didn't feel like killing him. So how, so, and here's where I want to go with yeah. this. How do we remove personal feelings and especially that of vengeance from the death penalty equation? Or well, can that's, you that's where your question is it just. If it's for revenge, it's wrong. If it's for, um, if it's like, you know, revenge, that's the only, but if it's, if it's to bring about 
justice if it's in accordance with the law, without anger, without malice or anything else, just simply to say, our law state this, we've looked at all the evidence, the evidence leads that this is the crime, so not as vengeance, not as not, not uh, 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 anger against you, uh, we're, we're carrying out the laws of the state. Um, and, and I think I, it's hard to separate that for me, but I think people who are in that vocation have learned that they have to separate personal feelings from, from facts of law. And so, so yes, I think it's just. Is mercy and grace just as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm glad I don't make those decisions, I'll just tell you. So uh, one, I want to say something about yeah, the mercy yeah, yeah. and grace. I'm yeah. reminded of a person on death row in Kentucky that converted to the Christian faith after he was convicted, after he served for some time. And there was a petition going around trying to get his death penalty sentence uh, removed mm-hmm. just because he converted to the faith. Moses was not able to enter the promised land because he disobeyed God. There were earthly consequences to his actions. Yet, in the only one time in the Bible, in the book of Micah, it says that the archangel Michael and the devil fought over Moses' body. The archangel Michael said, God's going to have to deal with you. So God was the one who buried Moses. So there were earthly consequences, yet it did not hamper at all his spiritual relationship. David wasn't able to build the temple because, uh, because he was a murderer and adulterer. Yet in the book of Acts, it says that God considered David a man after God's own heart. Um, and, and so we, 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 we see that, that there's this element of grace, there's this element of mercy, despite, but, but there's also God allows us to suffer earthly consequences. Um, I get in the car, I drive and I shouldn't, I'm tired and all the rest of that. I run into somebody, cause physical damage, property damage or whatever. Um, you know, even if I'm impaired, I can ask forgiveness for that sin, but guess what? I'm going to be held accountable in the court of law for the damage that I've done. Another element in this conversation is that of restoration. Mm -hmm. There's this topic or this concept of restorative justice, Mm -hmm. and it really is a biblical concept that says that if you have somebody that commits a wrong against somebody else, that criminal, that wrongdoer will have to repay and restore the offended party. Now, if you take somebody's life, you're limited in what you can do to I'm repay saying. that. Yeah. Now, now in the Old Testament, though, uh, the family of the, the, the person who was murdered, had their life taken away, could require payment sure. for that life. There's this idea of restoration. So restorative justice, it restores the one who's wronged, and it gives a chance for the, uh, the, the, the offender to make things right again. However, it's limited. Mm-hmm. There's been a wrong done, and there's going to be pain, and there are consequences for what happened. But when it comes to the idea of the death penalty, the Puritans had a very interesting view. What's that? And that was that it could be restorative to the soul of the murderer. They had a—often it was—they'd have a sermon that was preached, uh, give a chance for the murderer to repent, uh, to reflect on what they did, to come to repentance— and then the execution would take place. But they saw the soul of that person who murdered as somebody, it was, it was still a person made in God's image, mm-hmm. and that soul was worthy of restoration. Mm-hmm. They were calling them to repentance, and uh, I'm not sure how, uh, how, how successful, successful that was. <laughs> Here's another interesting thing, though, too. The Puritans had a very interesting set of criminal laws, and there were some crimes that were punished with pictures, if you will, of death. So, for example, there were some very, very serious crimes 
where they would sentence the offender to be on the gallows with a noose around their neck and just to stand there for hours or for a day and to feel the weight of what they did, even though they didn't get the death penalty, they'd feel the weight of what they did. They also publicly humiliated people for, for certain crimes and stuff. So, so to let everybody know what they had done, sometimes hanging signs around their neck and displaying them in public. Um, we were on a mission trip to Africa one time and they were dragging a man down the street by his necktie. Uh, very, very dark complected. And the only reason I mention that is because the blood on his skin that was coming from, from uh, wounds that he had received from the crowd was very prominent. And we asked our driver, who happened to be a, a, a Tanzanian because we were in Tanzania, said, well, what, what, what's going on? He said, I don't know, but he probably stole something. Mm. And we said, they're, they're going to kill the guy. And he said, yeah, they're going to drag him down to the middle of town, stack tires on him and set him on fire mm. and burn him to death. And I'm like, that's barbaric. And he said, it may be, but we don't have a big problem with people stealing things. Mm. You know? So the United States of America has a very, very high crime rate. Uh, in any given year, on average, we can experience between 10,000 to 15,000 murders. Hmm. There actually is an uptick in the number of murders. However, Ron, those on death row, there, there are a lot of people on death row. Uh, how many death penalty uh, cases were finally carried out last year in 2021? Any idea? I'm going to take a guess. I think it was 10. It, it, actually, you're in the ballpark. It's 30. 30, okay. Roughly 30 okay. Okay. That, that were carried out. So. Very few numbers yeah, yeah. are carried out. Now, not all the states have the death penalty in effect. Kentucky does. However, there's a, there's a stay because of the method of and, execution. And are, to carry out the death penalty, from what I heard one time, was it's, it's like a million dollars, court fees and all the It's quite expensive. It's, to put it's in the millions, yeah. and it varies from state to state. Yeah. I've heard up to $5 million, uh, in the state mm-hmm. of California. Mm-hmm. And it's because of the legal process, the appeals the public defenders that need to be involved, they need to get paid, the judge's time, and over uh, several years, this adds up. You know what's curious is, is kind of using this as a springboard back, when Cain and Abel, when Cain killed Abel and, and God banished him, Cain said, that's worse than death. I would rather you just kill me. And instead, God said, no, if banishment is a worse punishment to you than death, I'm going to make sure that nobody ever kills you. You're going to live your life out with this mark that everybody knows that you're a murderer, yet nobody's going to kill you. If they do, they'll be receive seven times more suffering than what you're going to. So, Ron, we, we're running out of time, but I want to leave with this thought as we talk about this very solemn public policy issue with serious consequences. Mm-hmm. I think as Christians, we should care about justice. We should care about upholding the image of God and man not just in the person who might be on death row mm-hmm. or sentenced mm-hmm. to death, but the, the person whose life was stolen from them. There's both lives mm-hmm. are valuable. Also, when we talk about this, we should do it with solemnity. We should do it with care. We should do it with an awe that, my goodness, we're talking about the state that has the power to take another life. Yeah. And if you get into it flippantly or if you, it, it, with the spirit of vengeance, um, that's the wrong. Uh, that's the wrong direction to go in. Yeah. There's been so many people that have been exonerated off of death row because of physical evidence. My personal opinion: death penalty should stand, but there has to be absolutely irrefutable evidence. In my opinion, not just beyond a reasonable doubt, but there has to be irrefutable evidence. And if not, then I don't. I, don't, I think we have to be sure because so many people haven't.